What is Welcome. done can't be undone. We will make him into puddings. Into <laughs> puddings. Hello, welcome to Guides the Unknown. I'm Kristen. And I'm her little brother, William. And this week we're going to be talking about messed up Grimm's fairy tales that have a horror bent to them. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that a lot of people obviously are familiar with the concept of Grimm's mm-hmm. fairy tales. I think that most people think of Grimm's fairy tales as being the gnarliest versions right. of childhood stories like a Cinderella mm-hmm. that Disney later on came came by and made them all like, like friendly up. and safe. Uh, everyone's wrong. There, there's a little bit to the Grimm's fairy tales history that sort of um, differs from what we all think. Oh, okay. Yeah, they edited themselves a oh, lot of the yes. time, I found out, which is very interesting. Awesome. We've been in the process of trying to uh, uh, sanitize these mm-hmm. fairy tales for like hundreds of years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we get into that, Will is going to tell us a little bit more about that. Before that, we just want to mention that you can find us everywhere online at GTTU Pod. You can join our private Facebook group by searching for Guides the Unknown Secret Society on Facebook or going to facebook.com slash group slash GTTU Pod. And you can also go to patreon.com slash GTTU Pod if you want a whole bunch of bonus content that's ready and waiting for you over there. And it's more is going to come every single month when you donate on our netherworld warrior level for a minimum of four dollars per month yeah we actually just this past weekend put out a brand new episode Mm -hmm. where Kristen and i listened to evps electronic voice phenomenon ghosts communicating with us through audio recordings and we tried to parse out what they're saying we treated it like a game show yep Uh, i would play an evp for Kristen; she'd guess what it was and then i'd tell her the quote-unquote real answer right and vice versa and on that very special show we were joined for the first time on this program Mm -hmm. by our mother kathy rogers that's right so it's a super fun episode we've gotten really nice comments on that episode over on patreon saying they really liked hearing our mom on it and hearing us talk about paranormal stuff because we also end up talking about what our feelings are on ghosts and stuff in the course of that game playing. Yeah. So it's a cool episode and you can go find it on patreon.com slash GTTU pod. It's waiting for you. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the the brothers Grimm. Mm-hmm. I did a little, re- little research into who they were as individuals and what the original Grimm's fairy tales as a collection yeah. was. So um, they were Jacob Ludwig Carl Grimm. Okay. And Wilhelm Carl Grimm. Okay. They were two, Carl. two of the eldest uh, children in their family, but it was a big family. They had like eight kids total. A bunch of those kids died in infancy. Oh, boy. Like we're talking about the 1700s yeah, yeah, when yeah. they're born. Jacob was born in 1785. Wilhelm was born in 1786. Oh, they are okay. one year apart. Irish twins. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they are German. Yeah, so. <laughs> German Irish twins. Yeah. But so they were eventually, when their father passed away, they sort of, um, Jacob, I think mostly, but certainly the two of them together, became kind of the heads of their household. They Mm -hmm. were forced to uh, take care of their mother and all of their other siblings. Yeah, step up. Um, They were very, very serious individuals. What's fascinating to learn about the Brothers Grimm, Mm -hmm. and what is also not that surprising, is how seriously they took their art form and literature Um, It appears that they were trying to really learn about their German heritage. Hmm. They were collectors in a a way. They would literally invite people to come over to their house, interview them, have them tell stories 
that uh, all these people have been hearing all their lives, these folk tales. Yeah. And then Wilhelm and Jacob would write them down, embellish them. Evidently, Jacob was sort of straight-laced. Wilhelm was kind of uh, a loosey-goosey, out-there kind of person. he punch up the stories a little bit. He had some notes. Exactly. So he would, you know, he would greatly increase the length of all the stories, uh, but they would document folklore and a lot of their methods of uh copying down storytelling are still used to this day um they were they were truly like hunters and collectors of stories so what were their methods that are still used today i think just literally the idea of like copying down the stories that people used to tell okay documenting where they came from and modernizing them okay now we're talking about like the 1700s but you know back then uh, these stories had still been around for hundreds of years. Yeah. So Jacob and Wilhelm would modernize these stories, thereby changing them. Of course. So, you know, you're changing the very thing that you're trying to preserve and collect. Right. And evidently they would, uh, sometimes consciously and sometimes unconsciously, um, claim that these stories were purely German cultural tales. Oh. They felt like the history mm-hmm. of Germany was contained in uh, verbal storytelling and uh-huh. written literature uh, reaching back hundreds of years. So evidently they also said that like Red Riding Hood was a purely German story. Spoiler alert, it is not. Okay. It is like everything else, a, uh, like you know. Like an amalgam of a bunch of different tales. Yes. Yeah. It is like, you know. If amalgam? You, amalgam? <laughs> amalgam? <you> that? <laughs> nice amalgam. Doesn't matter. Yeah. I don't know. But so, uh, yeah, they were really just like the latest in a long line of people changing these stories. Mm-hmm. And so the Brothers Grimm would start to also incorporate stuff like Christian imagery yeah. into the stories that had not been there previously. It's very interesting. Huh. It's it's Some of it makes a certain amount of sense. Like we've always talked about how stories can grow and change and evolve with sure. every you know uh, new telling. Um, and it's funny because I think that my perspective is always to look back at the past and think about how, how old it is, mm-hmm. but it's like, no, they were, we were doing the same stuff they were doing back then. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's some things that can't really be that embellished on, you know what I mean? Like when you were saying we still use their methods today, right? like it's just hearing stories and putting them down and truthfully, so how much crazier could it get correct and truthfully you could probably point to their methods and say that they were borrow- borrowing from someone even earlier uh-huh. their methods you know like yeah we're living in like a cyclical yeah totally but even to say method is like what else could it be well you i mean, I mean? L- like, let's also like you know face facts it's not like i studied this subject maybe they did have methods that i'm just not aware of because you know what i mean like Uh i don't know yeah i i got as much research as i could but maybe they did have like a particular way of documenting the the tropes of stories or something Mm -hmm. all i can tell you is that i know that they interviewed people and wrote them down but it could have gone deeper than that right right right. yeah Yeah. and so you just read something that says we still use their methods today basically okay gotcha um so uh, the Grimm's fairy tales, mm-hmm. the collection of their uh, folk stories, was originally known as Kinder und Hausmarken. What a beautiful name. Which means children's and household tales. Cool. Uh, they didn't publish it with the title Grimm's fairy tales. They weren't quite that like pompous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the first edition was published in 1812. It had 86 stories in it. Mm-hmm. A second volume was produced three years later in the year 1815 with 70 more stories. This just keeps rolling. Yeah. Almost every few years, every usually edition. no longer than like a decade would pass before there was a new 
edition of Kinder Unhauschmarken. Well, I guess if you've like gathered enough Kinder Ushmouse house yes, or whatever yes. over time, if this is maybe this is what this guy's jam was. Pump was, out more. Yeah, collecting these stories and cataloging them. So if you're gonna do a reprint, add the things that we've gathered in the meantime. Totally. What's weirder though than just adding more and more and more, they would remove some huh. over the course of time. So they were almost like honing or fine-tuning yeah. their collection of children's and household stories, uh, which would ultimately hit a seventh edition that had 210 tales. Okay. Um, they were, um, I personally think, now knowing a little bit more of their history, I think we talk about the Brothers Grimm mm-hmm. um, as a collective and as like some monolithic, you know, definitive uh, like collection volume. of yeah of of scary fairy tales but honestly the more that i read about them i was like you know what this feels like this feels like uh scary stories to tell in the dark hmm. this feels like alvin schwartz yeah who would that, right collect folk tales right. rewrite them he like when we covered scary stories to tell in the dark on this show mm-hmm. we couldn't overlook the fact that at the back of those books there's like 30 pages of references and, um, uh, you know, explanations of how the stories that he had collected had changed in the telling over the course of time. That's what the Brothers Grimm were doing. Yeah. This is just their curated collection. Yeah. And quite frankly, it made me start to think, and this is a good idea that, uh, I don't know, if I had more bandwidth to actually do this, I probably wouldn't share this on a show. Mm-hmm. Um, but screw it, I'll share it on the show. And if somebody, feel free to take this and run with it. Just, if you give me a thumbs up for giving you the idea, that'd be cool. <laughs> somebody should be doing this with creepy pastas. Yeah. Somebody should be going through the stories that are written on the internet now, sometimes written anonymously. Right. Tracking down the earliest incarnations of them, tying those to even earlier urban legends that have been told on college campuses, Mm -hmm. and then go even earlier Mm -hmm. to stories that people have been telling around the fire. Yeah. Um, Somebody should be collecting those, writing new versions of them, and creating the modern day scary stories to tell in the dark, the modern day Grimm's fairy tales. Very E. Yeah. Very internet, very eye grim. Yeah, that's true. Um, grim with a little eye. Exactly. So um, I mentioned that uh, there are, there's been like conversation about the Grimm's fairy tales as like, well, now we've got the new kid friendly versions. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so funny. Again, the cyclical nature of everything. We are not the first to do anything that we are doing. Yeah. We are the latest in a long line of humans that are, uh, uh, we all think that we're learning these things for the first time, but it's only because as humans, we only get to live for like 80 or 90 years. And then our kids have to pick up and and learn the whole, the same lessons all over again. Yeah. We think that the Grimm's fairy tales were too gnarly. So Disney fixed them. Uh huh. Guess what? Sucker. Get your finger out of my face. Guess what? Sucker. Oh, I'm sorry. Am I annoying? (laughs) Uh, So back then when they published their first collection. Yeah. The outcry was instant. These stories are too grisly for kids. Yeah. They're too gnarly for children. Why are you saying these are children's and household stories? There was like weirdo, like sexual content in it and stuff. Yeah. They instantly were were nailed for these being too scary for kinder. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. So they would change certain things. For example, this is a very fascinating one. They changed things like Snow White and Hansel and Gretel who have wicked stepmothers. Mm -hmm. They were originally wicked mothers. Yes. 
but they changed them because it was a little scarier to have a mom kick her kids out of the house. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's like something that's like a, a violation of a natural order for a yeah. parent to be killing, cursing, um, casting their kids out into the woods. Right. They're supposed to love you. A yeah. stepmom obviously ideally should and often does love sure, you. Of course. But there's a little bit more of a remove than with a mom. Mm -hmm. So hence the wicked stepmother was born. Mm -hmm. Because of outcry. Yeah. They removed, evidently there were references in Rapunzel to her asking, hey, why is my dress getting so tight around my belly? Mm -hmm. She was pregnant. Because yeah. that prince kept visiting her. Yeah. It's but like there that, was like. They had a merry time. Yes. They had a merry time. <laughs> there was a celebration. Yes. Up in the tower. In the tower. Uh, so they removed that. Weirdly enough, even though they were getting like uh, notes back that the stories were too violent, mm -hmm. part of their fix for some of this stuff was to punish evildoers in the stories mm -hmm. more violently. Right. To really show that wickedness cannot be tolerated. We've got to. There's an order to there's, things. Exactly. Like, violence is going to happen, but it makes it okay if it's not happening to the protagonist totally we'll chop people apart yeah um but a lot of people have also pointed out that like Grimm's fairy tales are like they didn't write these mm -hmm. they wrote the, yeah. those versions of the stories yeah they collected them yes but you can't necessarily there are some things that you can point to as like thematic similarities among Grimm's fairy tales because they rewrote them so mm -hmm. they added in certain things that reappear in each story yeah but ultimately like this is just like these are just some of the most well-known versions of stories that were around forever. I found uh, a source that says a lot of Grimm's fairy tales reach back to medieval times. Yeah. So these things are old. These are hundreds of years old. Absolutely. Uh, now. Yes. I have a section of my notes called Nazis. Oh. I hate these guys. Yeah, they suck. Evidently. Evidently. Hitler himself uh -huh. becomes part of our story now. Great. Adolf Hitler promoted Grimm's fairy tales as being about children with, quote, sound racial instincts seeking, seeking racial, racially pure marriage partners. Cinderella was supposedly a heroine who was racially pure. Her stepmother, being a stepmother who's mm -hmm. not like her, yeah. was an alien. Oy vey. And her prince uh, had, quote, an unspoiled instinct being able to distinguish between the two. He could he could find the racially pure Cinderella and cast others aside. Okay. Because he could tell. Yeah. It had nothing to do with the slipper that fit. Oh, my God. It had to do with her racial purity. The Nazi party decreed that every household should own a copy of Kinder Unhausmarken. Really? Well, I know there's some anti-Semitic stuff in it. So beyond just like reading between the lines and being like, the prince could tell that, that Cinderella was pure right. or whatever. Snow White. Yes. Right? I was starting to say yeah. Snow White. Um, there's anti-Semitic stuff in there. So I get I could see how it would appeal to Hitler and Nazis. I'll tell you what, I didn't find in my individual research, and I'm not mm -hmm. saying that that means it's not there. Yeah. I found people pointing out the the fact that Hitler uh, was a fan of these stories. I did not see people pointing out um, things in the Grimm's writing mm -hmm. that uh, uh, aligned with Hitler's viewpoint. I saw how their messages were like corrupted by Hitler. That was my research. I saw some examples of anti-Semitic Oh, you stuff. did? Yes. Oh, okay. Do you have them? No. Oh, okay. Well, it's good to know then. It <laughs> yeah, didn't yeah, come yeah. up in mine. Yeah. So in 1937, mm -hmm. uh, Walt Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs uh, sort of changed the message again. These are stories about the triumph of good over evil, of innocence 
over oppression. Yeah. And we started to plant our flag back in like, no, no, no. These are not part of like Nazi propaganda. Mm -hmm. These are stories of like morals and underdogs and like, how dare you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How dare you, Adolf? Yeah, how do you see that in there? Sit down, Adolf. Yeah. All right. So that's a little bit about the brothers themselves as individuals, how they collected these stories mm -hmm. and what they meant at the time and how they've changed. Yes. Um, Kristen sent mm -hmm. me three stories uh, uh, to sit down and read and uh, share with everybody. Yes. I believe you also have three stories. I do. Do you want to now alternate amongst each other? Oh. Oh, why don't you just go for it and then I'll, I'll you want take me to keep going home. yeah okay sure so um I'm gonna start with this one you said that you felt like this story was having a moment which story the hedgehog one yeah yes I'm gonna end with the gnarliest so I'm gonna start okay. with this one okay Kristen told me to read three stories I had never heard of yes here's the first Hans my hedgehog <laughs> a Grimm's fairy tale <laughs> evidently is in the book uh, I'm gonna read you the story are you reading the story in its entirety? Yeah. Oh. They're short. Okay. This is like a synopsis from like Wikipedia. It's okay. not like the original, yeah. Okay. Translation. A wealthy but childless merchant wishes he had a child, even a hedgehog. <laughs> I know. I they want make a big kid. Leaps sometimes. I'd even take a hedgehog. Yeah, that'll do. Yeah. Why say that? He comes home to find that his wife has given birth to a baby boy that is a hedgehog from the waist up. Okay. They then name him Hans, my hedgehog. After eight years, Hans leaves his family, riding a shod cockerel. Hmm. A rooster. Okay. <laughs> Psychotic. <laughs> to seek his fortune. He goes off into the woods and watches over his donkeys and pigs. A few years later, a lost king. <laughs> I know, it's... Stumbles upon Hans. You just have to go with a lot in Grimm's Fairy Tales. Just like, okay, so there's a lost king. We don't need to know his deal. Spoiler alert, I refuse to just go with it. I think that these are ripe for commentary. They're well, fascinating. They're insane. Yeah, they're but crazy. that's what they're saying. It's just just follow Yeah, us. it's just it a fact. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Uh so a uh, uh, lost king stumbles upon Hans after hearing him play beautifully on the bagpipes. You'd think that his quills would puncture that bag. Yeah, that doesn't seem like the instrument I would pick for a hedgehog. Well, what instrument would you pick for a Flute. hedgehog? All right, it's lovely. It's hard. It's lovely. Yeah. Hans makes a deal with the king. Hans will show him the way home if the king promises to sign over whatever first comes to meet him upon his return. Okay. However, the king thinks Hans is illiterate. And decides to trick him by writing an order that Hans should receive nothing. So he doctors this contract. Uh, uh, when the king arrives back at the kingdom, his daughter is the first to greet him. The king tells her about the deal he made with Hans and how he, the king, has tricked Hans. Uh, unconcerned by the betrayal, Hans continues to tend to his animals in the forest. I don't know how he would even know that he's been betrayed. Yeah, right. A second lost king stumbles upon Hans. This place is crawling with Absolutely. kings who do not know how to get home. Lousy with them. And they didn't have ways back then. <laughs> exactly. They only had Hans. Yeah. <laughs> Hans was the original Alexa. <laughs> oh, Hans, how do I Hans. get home? <laughs> I will tell you if you give me what first greets you upon your right. arrival. He just plays the bagpipes. You're like, it's not helpful. <laughs> yeah. Hans. All right, Hans. 
All right. Thank you. <laughs> so Hans again says, I will show you the way out if you give me whatever greets you when you first get home. And uh, the king agrees to the deal. Upon his return, the his only daughter rushes out to greet him as well. And in doing so, becomes the property of Hans. Oh, my God. Did you know anything about this when you told me to look into this? No, I, I looked up like horror or scariest Grimm's fairy tales or whatever. Are you scared yet? I've, I'm terrified. <laughs> um, I found a list. I quickly read some of them. There are others that I didn't give you or I. Yeah. And I picked ones that I thought would be funny or scary or interesting. Okay. Threw three at you. Well, you're right. <laughs> uh, for the sake of her father, the princess happily agrees to Hans's deal. She shall be his. Okay. In time... Hans, my hedgehog, goes to claim Hans, my hedgehog. the promises. He goes to the first king. The first king attempts to withhold his daughter. Oh, dear. But Hans forces him to give her up. There's a lot of forcible marriage oh, in yeah. Grimm's fairy tales. That was a very, um, it was a prevalent thread yes. in things that I was looking at. Yeah, Gnarly. Yeah. So check this out. Okay. Hans makes her take off her clothes and then pierces her with his prickles until she is bloody all over. Oh then God. sends her back to the kingdom in disgrace. Oh my God. Is that the end of it? No. Oh. No, we're not done. <laughs> the second king agrees to the marriage. He does not try to hold his okay. daughter back. The princess holds herself bound by her promise and Hans, my hedgehog, marries her. Okay. On their wedding night, he tells the king to build a fire and to post guards at his door. Hans removes his hedgehog skin and instructs the guards to throw the skin in the fire and watch it until it is completely consumed. Hans appears black as if he has been burned. After physicians clean him, <laughs> he is shown to be a handsome young gentleman. After several years, Hans returns home to collect his father, and they live together in the kingdom. So How nice. If you obey Hans, yeah. this is almost like a frog prince yes. kind of story. Yes, he completely. becomes a handsome, a handsome prince after physicians have cleaned him like a baby. Right. So there is a commentary here. Uh, from Wikipedia saying that essentially Hans's life is out of balance. He's half hedgehog, half human. It so is not nice. until he sheds his hedgehog skin that redemption is welcomed. Once Hans's metamorphosis from hedgehog to young man takes place, his life rather seamlessly falls into order. Hmm, so okay. reading up on this, evidently there is a theme in this story of disfigurement. Mm -hmm. The half hedgehog might be referring to literally like a physical ailment that mm -hmm. somebody might have had at the time. And uh, the fact that the first king views this half hedgehog man, yeah. Hans my hedgehog. Right, Hans my hedgehog. As having been uh, illiterate and lesser. Right. Um, to look down upon somebody because of their physical differences right. um, is... Uh, a punishable offense mm -hmm. essentially mm -hmm. and so because that first king and his daughter try to outwit hans and resist hans uh hans stabs her with his his prickles prickles <laughs> don prickles i don't know i thought it was Yikes. i thought it was like kind of funny but kind of gnarly yeah what is it you said you saw about this being like <laughs> a hot cool story that cool kids tell okay I didn't say it was a hot, cool story that cool kids tell. Kristen I said, said that, like, cool, like, high school kids, like... The, They're always talking about Hans, my hedgehog. Yeah, they love it. No, when I Googled it to be like, okay, would, is this a story that'd be interesting for Will to tell? Is there any pop culture relevance is whatever? 
I found out that there's a character in that show, The Witcher on Netflix, which is extremely popular, that's based on Hans my Hedgehog. And so that's all I saw. I saw a picture of the Hedgehog Man. And number one, I was like, okay, this confirms, I think, to me that the show isn't for me. Right. Number two, oh my God, I can't believe there's a Hans my Hedgehog character like recently. Yes, absolutely. Give this to Will. So there is uh, evidently in The Witcher there, you know, Hans my Hedgehog is a part of Grimm's fairy tales. It's part of its own uh, stories as well. And, you know, multiple retellings or multiple versions of stories like this. Mm -hmm. What I read is that there is a book. Um, uh, uh, I guess in the Hans, my hedgehog verse, okay. <laughs> uh, where a character is part of the Witcher. Yes. I don't okay. know if that Did means there's a literally a half hedgehog man in, in the Witcher. Yes, there is. There is. Yes. That's what I'm saying. There's actually a half hedgehog. Yes. Man. That is not what I got from reading. Okay. Well, if you just Google like Hans hedgehog or whatever, it comes up. I'm, I'm uh, Googling like the Witcher hedgehog. Yeah. People have written, oh <laughs> <I> my <laughs> God, who is the hedgehog in The Witcher? I know. That's all I saw. And I was like, boom, that, that's included in our, in our episode. In episode four, spoiler alert. For The Witcher. In episode four of the Netflix series, Geralt saves Dooney, <laughs> otherwise known as the Urchin of Erlenwald and the guy who looks like a hedgehog. The guy who looks like a hedgehog? Me- meaning that he is the guy that looks like a hedgehog. Right. What the hell? Why isn't his name Hans? I don't know. I guess Be more I, of a fun. Maybe that's why it didn't come up in my research, though, because like Oy. maybe there is another like right. iteration of this story where he's not known as Hans, right? Right. And so it did not come up in my thing. Uh huh. So the Witcher Hedgehog Man, <laughs> Dooney ain't got nothing on Hans. <laughs> no. And you also know, my hedgehog. Sonic the Hedgehog is in the zeitgeist right now, and I posted it on Instagram. But I'd like to reiterate that in the Sonic movie mild spoiler i wouldn't even call it a spoiler it's like barely anything sonic is a local cryptid to the area that he lives in there's a guy who's like a conspiracy theory guy who keeps telling people that he sees the blue devil at night and they don't believe him and they're like oh that's just carl or whatever but it's sonic that he's talking about i do love he's actually a pacific northwest cryptid the blue devil it's fun um all right so story two Mm -hmm. uh i had also never heard of this the juniper tree okay were you familiar with this at all no all right A wealthy and pious couple pray every day for God to grant them a child. One winter, under the juniper tree in the courtyard, the wife peels an apple. She cuts her finger and drops of blood fall onto the snow. This leads her to wish for a child to be as white as snow and as red as blood. Mm. Six months later, the wife becomes gravely ill from eating juniper berries and asks her husband to bury her beneath the juniper tree if she dies. A month later, she gives birth to a baby boy as white as snow and as red as blood. She dies of happiness. Keeping his promise, the husband buries her beneath the juniper tree. He eventually marries again, and he name and he and his new wife have a daughter named Marlinchen. Oh, it's a beautiful name, Marlinchen. Don't I don't mean to insult anybody with the name Marlinchen. In some versions, uh, she is known as Marlene, Marjorie, or Anne Marie. Okay, I like Marlinchen. The new wife loves Marlinchen as well. And despises her stepson. Oh, boy. She abuses him every day, claiming that she wishes Marlinchen to inherit her father's wealth instead of the stepson. One afternoon after school, the stepmother plans to lure her stepson into an empty room containing a chest of apples. (laughs) 
Marlin chest. Probably wasn't too hard. Just open that chest. Hey. You're like, hey, sonny hey, son. boy. Apples. <laughs> Running in. I can't wait to have some apples. <laughs> apples flying. <laughs> yeah. Apples akimbo. Yeah. Marlinchen sees the chest and asks for an apple, which the stepmother gracefully oh, offers. Oh, sure, with a flourish. However, when the boy enters the room and reaches down the chest for an apple, the stepmother slams the lid onto his neck, decapitating him. Ooh. It gets even better. The stepmother binds his head to the rest of his body with a bandage. Uh-huh. With a bandage. Okay. Doesn't seem like too uh, too tight. Doesn't no. seem watertight. Uh-uh. And props his body onto a chair outside with an apple on his lap. <laughs> Marlinchen, unaware of the situation, asks her stepbrother for the apple. Yikes. Hearing no response. Hearing no response. Hearing no response. He- I hear no response. <laughs> hearing no response, she is forced by her mother to box him in the ear, causing his head to roll onto the ground. Wait, is this the very mother who cut his, who knocked his block off? Oh, hell yeah. It is, is she trying to frame Marlon Chin? That's what I thought. This turns out to really have been nothing. Okay. Um, maybe it's to make it so that Marlon Chin is. Uh, um, uh, part of this yeah, now. I don't okay. know, because they do end up having to work implicate? together. Yeah, uh-huh. implicate. Thank you. Marlinchen profusely cries throughout the day. That's unsurprising, I guess. You just knocked your brother's head off. Yeah. Whilst the stepmother dismembers the stepson's body and cooks him into a blood soup. Ew. Gross. Also known as black pudding sour. Ew. God, that's awful. It's for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she later deceives her husband by telling him that his son stayed at the mother's great uncle's house. Okay. The husband <laughs> unwittingly eats the blood soup oh, during no. dinner and proclaims it's delicious. Do you think that the chili cook-off in South Park was inspired by the juniper tree? Scott Tennerman? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Okay. <gasps> okay, so there's a pop culture reference. Yes. Yes, absolutely. It's, you know, Matt Stone and Trey Parker are really the newest version of the Grimm, the yeah. Brothers Grimm. Well, they would be like semi-newest. I would say the newest version would be Matt Damon and Heath Ledger from that movie, The Brothers Grimm. I looked into that a little yeah. bit. Yeah. <laughs> How'd that seem? Seems great. Good. Seems great. 38% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm, you don't say. Not too bad. Not too fresh. <laughs> Marlinchen gathers the bones from the dinner and buries them beneath the juniper tree with a handkerchief. Suddenly, a mist emerges from the juniper tree and a beautiful bird flies out. The bird visits the local townspeeper, Peeper. <laughs> And sings about its brutal murder at the hands of its stepmother. Captivated by its lullaby, a goldsmith, a shoemaker, and a miller offer the bird a golden chain, a pair of red shoes, and a millstone in return for the bird singing its song again. My God, this bird's really making out. The bird returns home to give the gold chain to the husband, gives Marlinchen the red shoes, Meanwhile, the stepmother complains about the, quote, raging fires within her arteries, Mm. revealed to be the real cause of her anger and hatred toward her stepson. She goes outside for relief, but the bird drops the millstone onto her head, killing her instantly. Wait, wait, wait. So this lady, we find out this lady basically had like high blood pressure. 
<laughs> and that's why she killed her stepson. It might be it might be a metaphor for being possessed by the devil. Some oh, theorize that okay. she might literally be possessed by okay. the devil. Yeah. Um, surrounded by smoke and flames, the sun, revealed to be the bird, <gasps> emerges. Oh emerges from the bird and reunites with his family. They celebrate and head inside for lunch and live happily ever after. Presumably the wicked stepmother's body, her skull crushed in by a millstone is still like right there. You know, like. <laughs> but it's all gravy. I guess. The sun's back. Yeah. Here's the song. Boy. Here's the song the bird sang around the village. My mother, she killed me. My father, he ate me. My sister, little Marlinchin, gathered together all my bones, tied them in a silken handkerchief, laid them beneath the juniper tree. Kiwit, kiwit, what a beautiful bird I am. I can see why that guy gave the bird gold, red shoes, it's and a uh, big weight or whatever it was. It's lovely. It's a beautiful song. Yes. Um, there are some theories that the the gold given to the father represents a uh, means to escape the mm. wicked woman through wealth, that the shoes given to Marlinchen, his uh, half-sister, uh, represent getting away. Oh. Run, run, get out of here. Yeah. And evidently, the uh, the millstone is literally used in a, a mill. Mm-hmm. It would be involved in the production of food and mm. grain and everything. And because the stepmother was so obsessed with material wealth and everything and didn't want the resources of the family to go to the son, but rather to her daughter, uh-huh. um, he ends up killing her with something that would otherwise be used in the production of food and right. everything like Symbolic. that. Which is interesting. Hmm, cool. Um, there are alternate versions of this story that omit something. If you had to cut out one element from this to sanitize this story, which do you think it would be? I'm trying to think. I mean, her chopping off his head, but that kind of messes up one. the whole story, I would right. think. Right, he's got to be dead. Yeah, exactly. And or the sister knocking his head off. Okay, okay. Um, or them eating him. Yes, that's the one. Okay. Uh, there's versions of this story that flat out cut out blood soup. Okay. Turns out that thing lifts right out with yeah, really actually, little now, change. Now that you're saying that, you're Death. right. It doesn't really affect the story except for being gross. You know, things should really be in a story for a purpose. Everything yeah, should uh-huh. have its place. All right. Kristen, you know, this is the craft. This is my craft. This is horrible. <laughs> The blood soup lifts right out. It shouldn't be there. All right, there. this talk lifts right out. Grim bros. Um, there all are also a lot of themes in this story that appear in other grim fairy tales. Evil stepmother, mm-hmm. cannibalism, physical transformation. A lot of people turning into other yes. people or animals. Yeah. Um, I feel like birds a are a hot one in Grimm's fairy tales. Yeah. Yeah, I guess they are. A lot of uh, crows cawing. Mm-hmm. All right, so the last story that you asked me to look into, mm-hmm. uh, and the one I've strategically held for... For last, yes. for my portion, sure, is called The Girl Without Hands, Okay, also known as The Handless Maiden, The Girl with Silver Hands, mm. or like, The Armless Maiden. Okay. Silver Hands, like, uh, what's his name in Harry Potter? Peter Pettigrew. Peter Pettigrew. That sounds right. like a nice story. I don't know what the problem is. Yeah. There probably is nothing wrong with this. Probably. Um, sidebar, the next note I have here just says, why did you make me read this? <laughs> I seriously, like... <laughs> I don't know. I really don't even Listen, know. Listen, some of it's badass, but some of it's like, what the hell is going on? So many of them are like that. I know. So this is a four-part story. Uh, and here is the the Grimm's Fairy Tales version. Part one, The Mutilated Heroine, hmm. which is an awesome name yes. for a story, The yeah. Mutilated Heroine. It's pretty sick. Um, 
I rewrote this because this one's the other ones are pretty long, but yeah. I read them as like summaries are online. This one I rewrote as me. Mm-hmm. A strange man offers a miller wealth in exchange for just whatever the hell's behind his barn. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, I will make that you. That seems like a gamble. I'll make you wealthy if you give me whatever the hell's behind your barn. Yeah. Uh, the miller thinks to himself like, well, it's just an apple tree back there. Perfect. What could possibly go wrong? Make a sweet deal. Turns out his daughter's back there. Oh, crap. <laughs> That's mistake number one. Yeah. <laughs> so now the devil owns this girl. So the devil tries to take her, but because the girl had kept herself sinless Ugh. and clean, Ugh. kept her hands clean, okay. the devil can't take her. Oh, okay. So the devil threatens to take the miller instead if the miller doesn't chop off his daughter's hands. Oh, man. Devil's a real sick pup. So he for does it. For what purpose? I don't know. Just for your fun and enjoyment? It turns out to really go nowhere. Huh, okay. Spoiler alert. Um, because the miller chops off his daughter's hands, but she starts weeping on her stumps. I would think. And evidently- by weeping onto the stumps where her hands used to be, they grew back. They remained clean. Oh, okay. And the devil still couldn't take her. What? Now we go to part two: marriage to the king. <laughs> the woman, I don't know why, uh, escapes from her father. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> who cut off her hands? Yeah, I can't imagine. Can't imagine why she wants to leave home. She goes out into the world, but she doesn't have hands. Yeah. She can't do anything. She's hungry. She can't get fruit from that tree, so she cries. And an angel comes and helps her get fruit from the tree. But that's the king's tree, and he notices that someone's taken his pears. So he tracks her down, and when she shares her tale of woe, he says, "I will never leave you." Oh wow. Okay. I would never hurt you or abandon you. Okay. And I guess they fell in love. Okay. Fast forward. She's now the queen. All right. Things are kind of looking up for this gal. He somehow gave her new hands made out of silver. Even better. Chic. They have a baby. Okay. But when the baby is born, the king has gone off to battle. Oh. Which I interpret as like... (laughs) I like the second I read that I'm like very familiar with like kings going off to do battle in, uh-huh. in fairy tales, but it's like, what's he really doing? I think it was a euphemism for just like hitting the road, not wanting to deal with it. Maybe, Maybe. or like even like, there's no way they're letting the king be in the real fray. Oh, that's true. You know what I mean? Like they're probably like, oh, King Daniel, you're yeah. so rough and tough, right. and really he's like fighting people who are like <laughs> they created a oh, fake war. Oh, you've slain me! <laughs> like yeah. falling down around him, <laughs> just kind of catering to his pride. It's and, an ego yeah, thing. Yeah. So the news of the child's birth is sent to the king via a messenger, but the devil fudges the letter saying that the baby was born a changeling this devil should leave this chick alone but he like won't. why he's still tracking her he's just messing it's around enough yeah the king is a good man mm-hmm. he reads that his child is a changeling and he sends a note back saying that they should care for the child no matter what good a rare right a rare act of kindness in these things the devil's not having that yeah he changes the king's letter being sent back to say Kill the queen, kill the child, and show me her heart when I get back. Ah, very Snow Whitey. Bringing us to part three, the culminated wife. The king's (laughs) mother um, uh, decides to break the deal. She kills a deer to get a heart. Okay. And tells the queen to run away with the child. 
get the hell out of here. Yeah. People are, I, I like that this family seems to be healthy and, and helping each other. Nobody's yes. really throwing each other under the bus for the devil. Absolutely. Uh, now out in the woods with her own child, uh, this woman is, is lost again. Yeah. The angel shows back up and leads her to a hut where she can live. We're going to fast forward seven years during which her arms grow back. Okay. Okay. They just do. All right. Maybe the maybe the silver is very healing and growth promoting. Sure. Whatever. Welcome to part four of the finale. The hands restored. Fabulous. The king finally gets home and learns that the letter he had sent was tampered with, and he learns that like uh, they didn't really kill his wife. Yeah. Good thing. They yeah. Didn't really kill the kid. Pleasant surprise. And so he goes out to find his wife and child. It takes him seven years, but finally he finds the hut. Uh, where the angel had led his queen. The angel is there and lets him go to sleep by putting a handkerchief on his face. Okay. They make a point of saying that, and then they're like, the handkerchief falls off his face. Does make does that make him wake up? I don't know. I'm not <laughs> sure. Maybe it's so that he can do the class like... Yeah, yeah. Beep, 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 beep. So the handkerchief can let puff blow up, up and billow back down on yeah. his face. I'm not sure. But the, uh, the queen and their child show back up. Now this kid is seven, mm-hmm. and the kid is pissed because he had been told that god was man's one and only father oh you cannot be my father this amounts to nothing okay the king has no idea who the hell these people are he's like you can't be my wife my wife has silver hands you look nothing like her so the resolution the queen shows him the silver hands which she still has okay I she's guess... like, no, 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 my hands grew back. Mm-hmm. And Look, then, this is my face. And then uh, then he believes her. Okay. And they go back to the kingdom and they live happily ever after. Oh, okay. What? That's it? The hell does that mean? So, so, the thing that appears in other Grimm stories, children unwittingly being given away. Think right. about Rumpelstiltskin. I yeah. accidentally gave you my child. Yeah, right. Um, but this, again... Is just the, at the time, latest version of the story. The earlier versions are far more gnarly. Mm. Originally, originally, the woman cut her own hands off to resist the advances mm-hmm. of her father oh. and brother. Oh. Evidently, her brother really liked her hands. Okay. So she cut those off to keep him at bay. Oh. Yeah. Um, but I did, as gnarly as that is, I found this fascinating dissection, uh, a, a little analysis of what it means for this character to have lost her hands. Mm-hmm. The girl in the story becomes helpless and very much at the whim of anyone that can help her. In Grimm's fairy tales, male protagonists are more likely to become deformed or disabled because of an evil or supernatural force than women protagonists. However, women's deformity is more likely to leave her passive and helpless, whereas a male's deformity often makes him an outcast. Yeah, like a pariah. But does not cause him to lose his agency. This has to do with the fact that in 19th century literature, women were not given much of a platform to contribute. The girl's lack of hands is representative of the culture that this story originated in, Hmm, which I thought was like a really fascinating, fascinating observation. Yeah. That like, it is true. Like you think about like a guy that has like, if a guy got his hands cut off, he'd learn Mm -hmm. how to use his feet or something. Like he'd be shown as being like. Yeah, he's able to overcome it, right? But her depiction is that she's always helpless, and literally an angel has to come save her. Um, And the last thing that I have to say at all is that there was an adaptation of this story in a 2016 French animated film that I think kind of fixes some of the ending here. Mm -hmm. Everything happens as it happens. 
except she's not a queen. She's a princess. He's a prince. Yeah. So he goes to track her down at the hut. And when he's hunting around, he finds the house where she originally lived when she had her hands cut off. And he learns that after she left, her father hung himself and he sees her severed hands mm-hmm. on the floor, which is very saw. Yeah. Yes. Which I like. Yes. I like that too. Then he finds the house where she has been living. And uh, she has, under these past seven years, believed that her husband wanted her and her baby killed. Right. So when he appears, she instinctively reaches for an axe that she shouldn't be able to hold. Uh huh. But her arms are grown back so that she can defend herself That's with the axe. That's pretty badass. Which is rad. Yes. But he, he, he's like, no, no, no. I never wanted you killed. I never wanted you killed. Yeah. And just then the devil comes back into the story to do his final act. He comes in as a crow and he's trying to attack the child. But now the prince and princess defend their yeah, child against the devil. Up. And so the devil transforms again into another creature. Uh, a pig. <laughs> into another crow. Into another crow. <laughs> I will transform into a very similar another looking crow. crow. <laughs> ah, look at me now. Yeah. <laughs> My plumage is mildly different. This doesn't seem helpful, but yes. that's good for us. What do you think of the length of this beak? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he transforms into a pig. Okay. He's a, a disgusting pig man creature. Okay. And uh, she swiftly chops his head off with the axe, mm-hmm. thereby defeating El Diablo. Yeah. The prince and princess then leave the hut, but they don't go back to the castle. They leave both paths behind mm. and forge a third path for their own unique adventure. Ah, oh, that does sound good. And that, I think, is quite possibly one of the most recent incarnations mm-hmm. of this story, much like how the brothers Grimm altered the stories in their uh, original incarnations right. with every successive edition. This is a new, perfectly uh, as valid mm-hmm. as what the Grimm brothers did yeah. uh, work of this story that, quite frankly, I think uh, fixes some of the issues that were present previously. Yeah, And you know what? This is now... My your version canon version of the girl <laughs> without hands story <laughs> <laughs> whatever the hell it's called it's got like five names yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah I, I don't know I just thought that was interesting to track how it has grown yeah. evolved and how somebody even four years ago mm-hmm. can have at least for my taste have repaired a story that is hundreds of years old yeah uh, uh, and how like I think we also view when people make new movies of things. We go like, oh, well, this is like a fanfic version of this story or something like that. Or we put down new incarnations of stories. Mm-hmm. It's no different than what the Brothers Grimm did. Yeah, no absolutely. I mean, that's what people have done forever. I, I think that that comes from people being super purists about things and wanting to see something that adheres to their memory of right. a story if it's something well known. But it's cool for things to evolve. And if you're going to make a new version of something anyway, yeah. and if you have an idea that is good, that makes sense to you, whatever, mm-hmm. you're making a new version anyway. Why not put your own spin on it? Yes. I also I don't think see why not. that it's like a corruption of storytelling to treat mm-hmm. it all like it's set in stone. Yeah. Like it's fun for these to be living, breathing. Yes, I absolutely agree. Things that are up for interpretation and can vastly change over let the course them, of time. Let them change. Let there's, them live. There's, no, there's nothing that's permanent right. ever in the world. Yep. And so... Don't be so rigid about the way your stories live and are continuing to be told. Right. Let them change as well. It's fun and it's interesting. Yeah. It gives you something to think about and chew about. And even if you don't like it, like be happy that people are still interested in it. Even if it's something that you like hold so dear, you should still be pumped yes. that 
somebody's even wanted to change it. Yes, you can still you know? have your version. Exactly. You're not taking away your version. That's what we always say about remakes. Exactly. Like, hashtag Ghostbusters 2016. Hashtag Ghostbusters 2016. I may not have liked it, no, but, but I respect it. It doesn't erase <laughs> Ghostbusters yeah. 1984. Yeah, exactly. So whatever. Yeah. Okay. So now I'm going to take us over to three stories. And I ended up doing three stories that are all kind of um, in the same vein. They're like somewhat different iterations of each other, even though some of them appear in the same book interesting so um grimm's you know will take a certain theme and then spin it in different ways sometimes but if you think about it the bones are sometimes very very similar so when i say the same book and i slam down i'm referring to this old copy of grimm's fairy tales that we've had forever because it was our great aunt peg's book and it was published in 1917 um it is illustrated by Lewis Reed. And 1917, huh? Yes. And I remember, probably not cover to cover, I'm sure not, but I read this a good amount as a kid. Like, I remembered some stories. One of the stories I'm going to tell you was something I had a vague memory of reading. It was one of my favorite stories from this book, and I only remembered a certain aspect of it. So I Googled what I remembered, hoping I would find the story, and I did. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's really, really cool. It has these awesome old illustrations in it. Some are, are freaky. I was flipping through earlier when I picked it up from mom and it's like black elf appears in blue fire. Like these stories do have elements of scariness to them, even in illustration that are, you know, a little unsettling. Yeah. And I think that culturally we're, we're ready for, I think some of the preciousness of fairy tales mm -hmm. coupled with some of the grisly the grisly nature of them. Yeah. You know? I don't know. I, I think that a lot of like there are elements I mean, it of seems like it. the movie Get Out that are kind of fairy tale ish. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, like, fairy tales are stories with a beginning, middle, and an end. So they're sure. not that dissimilar from any story told. And so it's not that hard to find parallels between Grimm's fairy tales and other stories, movies, books, whatever today. Yeah. Because they're so old and there are so many of them. It's kind of like, how could you not find a parallel there when there are so many stories of different? types like those yeah. themes are bound to pop up again in things that are more recent i completely agree um but at the same rate i feel like a lot of people sometimes um will look down on the concept of fairy tales as being overly simplistic i you guess know? it depends i mean yeah. i guess if you're thinking these are not these are anything but simple like what are in the actual Grimm's fairy tales yeah. if anything they're overly elaborate a lot of times just like when you were telling the stories there are tons of things that you're like well that could lift right out and that doesn't really affect right anything. yeah totally i think maybe adapted versions of Grimm's fairy tales that you would find in a different book mm -hmm. like a children's book with glossy pages that are much short, shorter versions of the stories probably are short and simplistic because they they remove those elements that you can lift out. Yeah. But the actual Grimm's fairy tales themselves are not simple. No, totally. Can I, before you dive in, I'm yeah. sorry, but I happened to have, as I was flipping through, found the juniper tree. Oh, great. Here is a, a paragraph from the juniper tree right after uh, uh, the daughter knocks the little boy's head okay. off of his corpse. What have you done? Said her mother, but no one must know about it. So you must keep silence. So yeah, she is implicating yeah. and blaming this now on her yeah. daughter. What is Love done her. can't be undone. We will make him into puddings. Into puddings. And she took the little boy and cut him up and made him into puddings and put him in the pot. But Marlene, not Marlinchen, mm -hmm. but Marlene oh. stood looking on and wept and wept and her tears fell into the pot so that there was no need of salt. 
Oh my god! There you go. That's awesome. Just a, a sample. Yeah. Of just what the a real taste. what the real deal is like. A taste of salt. Mm. Okay, so the first one I'm going to start with, which is kind of the uh, big daddy of the other stories I'm going to tell, is the story of Bluebeard. Mm. Now, do you know about this? This is a pretty classic messed up Grimm's fairy tale. I, I might. Is this like um uh, uh he killed his wives? Yes. Okay. Okay. So the deal is, is that Bluebeard is a rich nobleman who's been married several times, but his wives always disappear on him. They all, they all leave him and he doesn't understand why. So he goes to a neighbor and asks to marry one of his daughters. And the girls are all freaked out because they're like, why, is these, why do these guys, why does this guy's wives keep disappearing? Right. Why, why, do this? why do this guy's wives keep disappearing? Yes. Okay, there. <laughs> Line. <laughs> Help. Um, so he chooses the youngest daughter because you can just choose this. You just ask a dad about it. Then you pick one. I'll pick that one. And they go away to his lavish palace in the country. So not long after that, he tells his new wife that he has to leave the country and he leaves the keys to all the doors in the house with her. And he tells her that she can use them. She can check out all of his riches in the rooms, except that he, she cannot go into this one underground chamber that is forbidden. It's forbidden. He leaves and she invites her family and friends over for like a house party while he's out of town. And she's hanging out with them. But what's in that room is preying upon her mind. So she leaves the party to go open the chamber door and she finds it full of blood and the corpses of Bluebeard's missing wives. In her shock, she drops her key in the blood. And after she runs out of the room because she's freaked out, she tries to clean the, key, the blood off of the key, but she can't for the key is magic. Oh, no. So she's terrified and freaked out, and she tells her sisters, and they plan to leave first thing in the morning, but Bluebeard comes home early in the night, he sees the key, and he goes nuts. So he's going to kill her when she asks to pray before he does. And when he's about to deliver that final blow, her brother kills Bluebeard. The wife inherits everything, all of his riches and fortune and everything, and has those wives from that room buried properly. And she and her family live happy lives. She remarries and she moves on. Wow. Now, this is the version that's on Wikipedia. Sure. Um, that There could be a different version in there. Mm-hmm. I'm not totally sure because in another story that I read, there's a slightly, very slightly different version in the Grimm's Fairy Tales book that I looked through as opposed to what you can find online. So as for references in pop culture to Bluebeard, it's referenced a ton. It's basically kind of a cultural touchstone for men hiding a horrible secret, Mm. particularly from women. So recent references or kind of similarities or allusions to Bluebeard are um, episode 10 of the first season of You, which is called Bluebeard's Castle. Oh, that's interesting. I don't want to spoil anything, but it's where a woman finds out something scary. Yeah, I have not made it there yet. Okay, cool. And the 2015 movie Crimson Peak. Have you seen that movie? I did. Allie and I saw that in theaters. Mm -hmm. I watched it, and it's got a very mild kind of Bluebeard theme. Um, It's it's not quite the one-to-one. It's really just that... A woman leaves and marries a guy, moves into a scary house, and there are rooms she's not supposed to go in, and she steals keys and is able to go in the room and she right. sees that things are not so good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I liked it. Did you like that movie? No. Maybe you want to barf. Oh, okay. It's well, really gross, right? Yeah, it's pretty gross. Yeah. Yeah. But- Tom Hiddleston is, is almost at some points acting like he's been redeemed. Oh, I know. And I do not think that that character is redeemable. No. I know. That part of it is very, very weird. Yeah. Um, I thought it was beautiful looking. 
I really liked the way everything looked. I liked the way the ghosts looked. Yes. I thought it was good. I heard that it sucked, and I didn't think that it sucked. That was the primary reason why we went. Ali and I are big fans of Guillermo del Toro, mm-hmm. and even like the things that he didn't direct but produced. I think uh, yeah. on a pre-show, if you watch like the live recordings on YouTube, um, I I went back and forth with somebody who was talking about the orphanage, mm-hmm. El Orfanato. Yeah. And how like wonderful I think that story mm-hmm. is, and how warped it is, and how scary it is. Yeah. And Guillermo del Toro is like the the tone that he can create in something mm-hmm. is is really engrossing. So I really wanted to love yeah. uh, Pearl Mountain or whatever it's called, Crimson, <laughs> Crimson Peak. Peak. Yeah. And uh, I went and I thought the ghosts were kind of cool looking, mm-hmm. maybe a little too CGI e. Yeah. And then Tom Hiddleston just made me want to uh, vomit. Well, yeah. I mean the. Yeah, the end is awful, but I think there are some really cool things in it. Overall, I liked it. I thought okay. it was good. Um, <laughs> man. Yes? There's a thing from... <laughs> hang on. <laughs> I wasn't planning on talking about this. There's a thing from IMDb. It was a bit of trivia that somebody definitely added themselves that I thought was really funny. IMDb and trivia I, has gone downhill. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I privately laughed. I wasn't planning on bringing it up, but I want to find it real quick now. I know it was toward the bottom. It was like... Well, it was toward the bottom, and it's about a bottom. Let's see. <laughs> what? Uh, okay, here we go. So this is a this is a spoiler. This is spoiler. It's not the biggest shock in the world. It's about um, people who are married in the movie having celebrations together. So for the sex scene between Thomas and Edith, Tom Hiddleston broached the idea of male nudity with Guillermo del Toro. As he put it, often in these situations, the woman is more naked than the man, and we thought we would just redress the balance. The result was zero nudity for Mia Wasikowska, uh, unless her bare legs count as nudity. This is what I like. While Tom was nude from the buns up, with the camera behind him, of course. <laughs> <laughs> With the camera behind him, of course. It's like a very chaste description. Nude from the buns up with the camera behind him, of course. Why, he was nude from his lower bun to his upper upper bun. <laughs> if you can believe it. That's funny. Um, also, in the trivia, I found that Guillermo del Toro partially based it on having a supernatural experience of his own. And it's not really Grimm's Fairy tales but I just thought I'd include it because I think it's cool. Sure. Um, while he was on location scouting for the Hobbit trilogy when he was originally set to direct them, he and some members of the production stayed the night at a haunted hotel in New Zealand. Del Toro claims that one night after midnight, he could hear the sounds of a murder, including, whimp- including whimpering and screams coming from a vent leading leading to an empty bathroom. This event was the basis for a sequence in the film when Edith witnesses a ghost in a bathtub. Interesting. I know. Very cool. cool. Um, Also, pop culture thing I'll leave us with about Bluebeard specifically is that a mausoleum of Bluebeard and his wives is at the exit of the haunted mansion in Disney World. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Now that is very cool. Yeah, totally. So I'm going to have to check that out while I'm there. There's something to the Bluebeard story that's very Adam and Eve, right? Yeah. I mean, the... All this and kind of the variation that I'm going to tell you are very much about it's female curiosity biting you in the ass. Forbidden knowledge. Mm-hmm, exactly. And that it, you know, like ruins everything, yeah. basically. So here is the variation that I remembered. So I, when I was looking at stuff for us to read, I saw the Bluebeard thing. I was like, okay, cool. That'll be one of the things that we feature. And I was like, that reminds me of that freaky story with the egg from the Grimm's Fairy Tales book that we had at home that I read. What is that? So I Googled Grimm's Fairy Tales blood egg. Hmm. And I found what I was looking for. It's similar to Bluebeard, but not exactly the same. And in the book that we have at home, it's called The Forbidden Room, because I looked this up today. Uh, but... 
online, you can find it under the name Fitcher's Bird, which will come up in a second. So this variation has a wizard or a sultan who kidnaps women to be his brides by posing as an unassuming beggar to draw them near. So kind of Ted Bundy vibes. He acts innocent and kind of weak. And then when they get close... He can touch them and enchant them, making them jump into his basket Ooh. so he can bring them home. That's that's also very Ted Bundy. Yeah. Get in my car, jump in my basket. Yeah, Ooh. exactly. He enchants them so that they'll go in there. Maybe Ted Bundy was a wizard or a sultan. Ooh, a bad one. Yeah. Not that these guys are good. Anyway, so same deal. The wizard leaves the house. He gives the keys and he says, don't look in this room, but you can look everywhere else. But- in this story, he also gives his wife an egg to look da- look after that he says she must keep with her at all times. But the wife that he took couldn't resist and enters a room that has a in the in the um the version online, she enters a room with a basin of blood in it and body parts, and in shock, drops the egg right into the basin. Mm. So she picks it up, leaves the room, and she can't clean the egg. It's the same sort of deal. So the sorcerer comes home. He asks to see the egg, sees that it's bloody, knows that she must have gone in that room, and kills her and adds her to that bloody basin. That's kind of that's kind of where I thought the original story was going mm-hmm. of like almost like a very urban legendish. She opens the door and he's like, I thought I told you not to open the door and then right. pushes her in the room or something, you know? Yeah, totally. And what I was talking about Crimson Peak kind of having a similarity to the next story is in this because upstairs there are these vats that are supposed to, in Crimson Peak. It's like this big haunted house kind of thing. And there are these big vats of red stuff that's supposed to just be red clay because the home is built on basically a big deposit of red clay that they're trying to mine. And she is suspicious of all these vats and she knows something's afoot with her new husband. And so she opens, she like breaks open a lock on one of these big vats and stirs it. And she doesn't see it happen, but a skeleton rises up. Oh, that's So cool. that's a little bit of a play on the Forbidden Room story as opposed to Bluebeard. Yeah, I looked up. So the version from the book that I read when I was a kid is that it's very similar, but it's not that there is a vat of blood. It's that there is, and when I read it today, I was like, oh my God, I do remember this, is that there's a block in the middle of this room with a, an axe in it. They so say there's a sparkling axe and there are dead body parts all around it. So he kills that sister and he goes out and he takes another sister from the same family. The same thing happens, the exact same thing. But then when he goes and takes the youngest sister from that family and does the same thing, leaves her with the keys, with the egg, she decides to leave the egg before she goes into the forbidden room. She's like, take this egg everywhere with me. No, thank you. She opens that door with all the bodies and she sees her sister's bodies. She reassembles the bodies and what? magically they come back to life. Oh, it's that it's easy, a fairy huh? tale. Yeah, basically. I mean, my kid turned into a bird after right. he died and then became a human again. Is that you just have to, they, they're expecting that you're just going to go with sure. this. So when the wizard returns and sees the egg unbloodied, he's like, boom, this is the gal for me. And he wants to marry that sister. So she is freed from his power somehow. Again, I don't know how, it doesn't matter. And tells him that they'll be married, but asks him first to carry a basket of gold back to her family so I guess it's like we're going to be married but you got to help my family out here a little bit and to take no rests on that journey back to bring the gold and she said that she'll be watching from the window as she prepares for their wedding and cleans the house and stuff but she'll keep looking outside and she'll know if he stops along the way 
So he would occasionally try to take a minute to rest and a voice would scold him, which wasn't somehow magically from his bride, as it seems to be he thinks they're having some sort of mind meld, but from the sisters hidden inside the basket. Oh, wow. He's not taking gold back. He's taking the sisters back. Wow. So while he was out, the youngest sister dressed up online, it says, a skeleton from one of the victims. In the book from when I was a kid, the smelly, smelly book, it says that she takes one of the other victims' whole heads and props it up in the window, dresses it up like herself, and faces it outward to trick him when he comes back. Oh, my God. Meanwhile, she covered herself in honey and feathers so that she could go back to her family incognito, disguising herself as a bird for her journey home. So if she meets anybody or meets the wizard, he'll think she's a bird and not know that she escaped. Well... How unwell could she be because she pulls it off? I feel like she's having a hard time. She's having a real hard time. So guests on the way to the wedding, because the wedding's happening right now, see her and they refer to her as Fitcher's Birds. That's where the title comes from in other iterations of the story. And the sorcerer is even fooled. He asks the bird where the bride is. Hey, where's the bride? Is she upstairs? She tells him that she's upstairs in the window. So I guess he looks, sees the deadhead face of another woman that he killed, but is distracted by its clothes like his more recent bride so it's all fine once all the wedding guests and the sorcerer enter the house for the wedding the three sisters now remember those two sisters basically like hitched a ride in his basket they thought it was gold they brought the family they told her family the situation they all went to the house they blocked the doors and they set the house on fire with all the guests and the sorcerer inside oh my god so they get their revenge and they get to live wow Pop culture reference, Margaret Atwood wrote a book of short stories called Bluebeard's Egg containing a story with that name, which is presumably a mashup of those two tales. It's the bluebird thing, but the egg sort of thing. The egg is interesting, too, because obviously, like, eggs are sort of, like, symbolic of birth. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And of innocence and purity it's yeah, beyond true. a baby and so you know by and de- white to have the white egg be dyed red yeah. essentially is like the the corruption of an innocence yes like that's it's very interesting it's the corruption of my innocence as a child i will say i remembered it slightly wrong because i wasn't picturing an egg like dropped in blood i pictured that for some reason somebody was holding an egg either while they were killed or somebody was killed in front of them i had a picture of an egg with like a slash of blood or like a splatter of blood across it in my mind that's kind of what i was expecting to see this is definitely the story because everything else fits but that was what i remembered it wasn't right that was that was the chrissy version that's the chris you're right that's right yeah just like the Grimm brothers adapted theirs that's my version of this story Okay, so the one that I'm going to end on is called The Robber Bridegroom. So this is, I thought this was kind of a famous one. I guess I could be wrong. Maybe this is one that I liked a lot, again, from Grimm's Fairy Tales or something. But I thought it was more of a thing than it is, I guess. I mean, there are, there's like a, there's a Broadway show or a play called The Robber Robber Bridegroom, but it doesn't seem to adhere to this story. It is a thing, but I I thought it was I thought this exact story was more everything than it seems to be. So here it is. A guy marries off his daughter to a guy, as you do, and she doesn't know the guy who she's going to have to be married to. So she's not really into it. 
And the guy, like a big baby, complains that she never visits his house in the woods. So one day she does. He's like, we're getting married, but you never come hang out with me. Come over to my house. He left a trail of ash through the woods for her to find the house. And on her way, she drops peas and lentils so that she can find her way back, creating an additional trail. <laughs> yum, yum. It's funny to be like, like, like peas and lentils yeah. might blend into... The scenery more than, you know, even more than breadcrumbs. Yeah, right. You know? Peas and lentils. Yeah. I don't know. Well, they they develop. J- just like the stories grow and change, the peas and lentils are going to grow and change. Okay. So when she gets to the house, a bird inside, again with the birds, says, Turn back, turn back, thou bonnie bride, nor in this castle of death abide. Whoa. That's it's cool. ominous. Yeah. Very cool. There's an older gal inside the house who's basically the housekeeper, and she tells her that there are people who will kill her unless she hides. And indeed, a band of robbers come in with a woman who they've killed, and they get ready to eat her. Um, the So the housekeeper has taken the fiance to hide behind something when these dudes come in so they don't see her they chop off a finger of the woman that they've killed to get to the gold ring that she has on it and when they do the finger goes flying through the air into the hiding woman's lap the guys want to find it but the housekeeper tells them that they'll find it in the morning like just go about your business you'll find it tomorrow don't worry about it okay she also drugs their wine so they pass out and then the housekeeper and the woman flee together so for all i know maybe the lady the housekeeper's been waiting for this chance to have somebody from the outside who she can run away with or something like that she's been working there but it doesn't seem like she's into the situation so it's a good thing she dropped those peas and lentils because the wind has blown the ashes away that she would have taken to get back to her house but the peas and lentils have bloomed into a path of plants to follow home so she and the housekeeper follow the path of plants home the bride is going to play the long game here the wedding day comes and the groom urges the woman to tell a story it's a party everybody's telling stories why don't you tell a fun story so she tells the story of going to his house that way saying it was a dream she had she's telling the actual story like i went to the house and the woman told me i better hide because people are going to kill me and then in between sentences she would say this was only a dream my love but going back to the real story. It's kind of badass. It's totally badass. Yeah. And when she gets to the part about the flying finger, she holds up the finger as proof that this really happened. So the robber bridegroom and all his bros are taken away and put to death. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. Totally. I love it. I love that. And that's it. That's very cool. Yeah. That's a very cool, like, badass. I know. I'm going to get you a story. Exactly. Leave on a note of the woman doing some damage to the bad guys hell yeah hell yeah turns out that peas and lentils are much smarter to leave on on your trail than breadcrumbs yeah absolutely if i came across a trail of breadcrumbs you better believe i'd be eating them <laughs> you would never find your way back home because i'd be like ooh croutons yeah they'd be like what's that creature over there on all fours oh yeah. it's a guy right crawling on the floor of the forest eating bread yeah huh she's delicious we would become part of somebody else's story right we would be a monster in the woods if i keep enough in my that- cheeks it's like i'm eating stuffing yeah <laughs> <laughs> if I gather enough breadcrumbs, it's if like sp- Stouffer's. If I sprinkle dirt on top of it like seasonings, it's like croutons. <laughs> Love croutons. <laughs> These are basically croutons. Like we some mean, explanations. Of- it's like croutons. <laughs> justifying Excuse, it to yeah. the person. Exactly. I'd be a monster in the woods that um, gets power from grain. Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. you would. I essentially am. Incredible. Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. Just like this episode, guys. Yeah, everybody. That's it.
the we're Brothers Grimm, mm -hmm. who they were, some of the stuff that they did. Maybe we'll do more of this. Maybe we'll do more uh, yes. fairy tales yes, in the future. Yes, Mom and I were talking about that. This, there are tons of yeah. messed up stories. Absolutely. So we could revisit this tome every once in a while. This yeah. Fragrant tome. Without a doubt. And we can like track the different incarnations of stories. Yeah. Like obviously there's the new Hansel and Gretel movie. Yes. Gretel and Hansel, I should yep. say, mm -hmm. is the name of the movie, which and we saw. We did. And Gretel and Hansel, or Hansel and Gretel, is another thing that the brother Grim changed from being um, originally it was the mother who abandoned them in the woods and they changed it to a stepmother mm. and in the movie Gretel and Hansel they do have it be their mother that abandoned them so yeah, they kind of went right. back to the original version yeah that's right I, I, I hadn't really thought of that but you're right about that yeah yeah Cool. cool. Very cool. Well, thank you so much, guys. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you want more of us, you can go to patreon.com slash gttupod. There are six full bonus episodes up there right now. There are going to be more every single month. And also just little tidbits, like we're making some changes to the way the show looks for people who watch us on YouTube. And we gave a little sneak peek of the behind the scenes of that on Patreon. So there's just little dribs and drabs of stuff there in addition to the monthly bonus episodes. Yeah, follow our trail of breadcrumbs. Mm. Um, you can also review this show on apple podcasts yes. stitcher you can even leave a review for us on our facebook page mm -hmm. uh we would really appreciate any positive reviews that you can write so that other people out there in the world will get a good first impression with guide to the unknown yeah. it really helps our reputation yeah absolutely and also we see them whenever mm -hmm. they roll in and quite frankly they 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 brighten our day and put yeah, a little it keeps uh, us juiced up and wanting to do the show it's nice to know that people are listening to it watching it and into it yeah give us that juice yeah so d madeira wrote love this podcast these two crack me up i'm literally sitting on the sofa listening and laughing and my husband is looking at me like i'm nuts nice thank you for the entertainment and interesting topics keep up the good work Thank you very much, Dimadiros. That's awesome. Thank and you. And apologies to your husband. Yes. Uh, you can also uh, join our secret Facebook group by going to facebook.com slash groups slash pod. We just hit our 500th member. Ah, excellent. Today. The Beautiful. very day of this recording. That's great. It is insane. It is insane. Um... And yeah, if you want to keep up with at GTTUPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to see what we're working on mm -hmm. and to get a, a post whenever something new comes out, that's the, the best way to check in with us. That's right. Otherwise, you can follow Kristen and myself online individually. That's right. I'm at Chillin' Kristen on Instagram and Twitter. And I am the Myth Traveler. So thank you all so much for hanging out with us. We will see you again next week when we weave tales to tease and tantalize. Mm, okay. But until that time comes, we must travel. Back to the netherworld, through the wood, eating breadcrumbs, go we. Finn. Goodbye. No, she just called me too. Oh, okay. I was wondering if it was a technical issue or something. Hey, you okay? Yeah, smell the book. <laughs> oh my god. Do you have any idea how concerned I was that you were calling me while we were in the middle of the show? Oh, I'm sorry, honey. Oh my god. <laughs> what? <laughs> we saw you called and we were like, Mom wouldn't be calling while we're doing a show, something must be wrong, and we immediately oh, cut the feed. No. <laughs> I thought your house was on fire. There was there was a lot of excitement about you smelling book. <laughs> Why? What? Oh, in like the chat or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
a bunch of people were saying smell the book. I will never smell this book. Why? <laughs> That's so funny. We don't look at the chat while we're recording because it's no, distracting. I, I thought there was just a chance that maybe so- that maybe somebody's <laughs> phone was on. And there were a bunch of people who were really enthusiastic about you smelling the book. And what? maybe one of your phones was on. And I'm so sorry. And I'm fine. <laughs> and please forgive me. It's okay. I just, I just wanted to see if possibly I could get one of you. I'm sorry I scared you. Goodbye. <laughs> it's okay. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Smell the book. What the hell's going on? You smell it. All right. I mean, I've had it. Like, it, I'm sure it smells fine. What? What is wrong with you guys? What's wrong with all of you? <laughs> <laughs>